Not the right time to be doing that crap. Like nobody else can figure out how many freaking bananas to buy with a dollar. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of South Florida Real Estate Radio with myself, Matt, and my co-host, Dave Magua. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks for being with us again. Hey, Matt. A pleasure. Good morning to you. Happy Wednesday. Yes, sir. Uh, so uh, a couple of pieces of feedback that we got from last time was uh, we started going into a little bit of uh, how to make a strong offer on buying a house and what that offer should look like. And we got some feedback that uh, we should probably do a buying 101. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. So, uh, so yeah, we're going to talk about how to buy a house in 2020 and the steps behind it. And uh, so, you know, I think, you know, when people are buying a house, it all starts with an idea initially, right? Oh, and I just yeah. wanted to, yeah, I just want to share a story with a client that I just recently closed a house with um, out in Wellington not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. Uh, and this house started with just an idea. And the idea was, uh, hey, hey, babe, let's put a fence in the backyard. And then the, <laughs> hus- then the husband said, okay, well, if we're going to put a fence in, I want to put my pool in. And then the pool and the fence turned into building a whole backyard, which then turned into, you know, a hundred thousand dollar project later, which then turned into, wait a minute, if we're going to spend 80 to a hundred thousand dollars on completely redoing this backyard and in our current house, why don't we potentially just get something a little bit bigger since we're growing our family and we're going to have another kid within the next couple of years and uh, that's what started their shopping spree. And wound- so the idea of just, hey, babe, I want to put a fence up in the yard turned into, hey, let's, gonna, let's go buy our dream house in Wellington. You know, Matt, I, that makes total sense because in, in so many cases, when you, you just got to have an idea. And it's not even a preparation. It's just an idea. And then you start to dig a little bit into, should I do that or shouldn't I do that? And should I do that in the house that I'm in? Or should I maybe look at another one just to see if the value is going to make sense because in many cases you could say yes i'm going to put the fence in the pool in but if most of your neighborhood doesn't have that then you don't want to really do that because you're going to kind of put yourself in a position to be one of the better houses in your division and you then you never land up selling it you'd rather want to be like everybody else in the division if everybody's got a pool you want to do that so i get that i've actually heard that that thing happen many many times over the years yeah, and there could be like numerous variations around it, right? Like, so nowadays it could be, you know, I went out to a house yesterday <clears throat> and literally, I kid you not, this guy's home office uh, was in the closet. So uh, one, of the, one of the two master closets had been converted into his yep. home office. And then the dining room was converted into a schoolroom for the three kids. Yeah. Matt, this I, I've started to see the same thing. And I'm also starting to, to get that same question come up to me as well. Because the way that we live post-COVID is going to be so different. And it is so different already. You're talking about a schoolroom and you're talking about his office, her office, their office, a Zoom room. So it's an opportunity to change the way that we live and you can't be in a closet all day. No pun intended, right? Yeah. All right. So it all starts with an idea, right? Which then leads our uh, buyers into the first phase of buying a house, which is 
researching, right? So mm-hmm. let's talk about the research phase a little bit, Dave. What do you what goes into the research phase? Well, what I've realized over the years is, and especially right now when it, it, it really is a seller's market, when you're looking at a home under 500, which is really the bread and butter on a daily basis in, in South Florida, you, you kind of better make sure that you are ready. So if the initial idea is a yes, I want to buy a house, have a plan, set that plan in action. And the main part of the plan always is the financial uh, point of it. The pro- that piece is going to be the most important. Make sure, sure if it's cash that your money is available. Uh, if it was in stocks or in bonds, make sure that you've made it readily available so it's actually cash. Or if you're doing a mortgage, make sure that you are fully qualified, verified, ready to go. Only thing that you need for the mortgage at that point must be the property. Be ready. If you're not ready, don't even start this process because there are so many bids going on houses. And if if you don't have it, you're going to be out. That would be my main piece that I see. What do you think the second piece should be? Yeah, I think just to add to what you said um, before we get into the second piece, I think obviously calculating how much you can afford, right? And in addition to that, it's one thing for you to, you can go online and do kind of like a mortgage calculator situation, right? But I, I would even take it one step further and partner with a lender, like right off the bat to figure out kind of where you're at and what you can afford. Because uh, with, you know, there's a couple things that are going on right now. And one of them is historically low mortgage rates, which we've talked about, you know, on podcasts uh, before, but Uh, What that does is it gives buyers potentially way more buying power than they actually think. Uh, So you could potentially afford, you know, like your example with a $500,000 house, you could potentially afford at this point with under 3% mortgage rates, uh, you could potentially afford a $560,000, dollars house and it would be the same monthly payment, right? So. Number one is in your research phase, calculate how much you can afford, uh, partner with a mortgage lender. Uh, you had mentioned, you know, saving up for a down payment and closing costs. Uh, you know, you know, most people don't know that they could potentially use their 401k towards the purchase of a home, right? So if you don't have a down payment or closing costs or you need a little bit more some help with it, um, you know, you can always dip into your 4OK and invest that into your house, uh, into your real estate. Um, there's other options that you can have. Uh, so I would definitely partner with a real estate professional as well as a mortgage lender. Um, you know, so that would all be part of the research phase mm-hmm. um, that Great. you're coming out of the gate with. Yeah, there's so much that goes into it. You know, we even talk about credit. You know, we've got all these programs on, online right now. There's Credit Karma and the rest of it, Free Credit Report. And, and they give you these wonderful numbers. But you've got to know those numbers are not exactly the same numbers as what the lender will pull. So, so what, whatever you see online as those credit reports, don't think that's going to be exactly what the lending credit um, score is going to be it, it does differ when they start to run the whole package for you so that's very important as well make sure that 
that, that you deal with the lender and let them actually present the whole ball field to you and then pick the right pieces so that you can build yourself a great team of, of pieces so that when you're ready to buy, that mortgage is going to be solid. And it, it also puts you in a position not to overextend yourself. Yeah, I think the bottom line is, um, you know, take a look at what you can afford, uh, you know, get some support and help through, you know, maybe one or two mortgage lenders, um, you know, get a, you know, try and get a real estate professional involved as soon as you can to help you determine, uh, you know, what you can do and what you can do, you know, they'll help you determine price. And uh, obviously, you know, you don't want to make, you know, overextend yourself by any means, you know. Totally. And, and shop and, and definitely look at more than one lender to start because uh, there's such a difference between lenders today. You, you know, you've got a lot of guys that have been in the business a long time, but they haven't grown. You need a lender who, who's first and foremost is going to be very competitive, not only on the interest rate, but hit the closing costs that are based on that loan. More importantly than that, they're going to have to have the machine behind that to get you to the to the closing table and close. So make sure that they have the underwriter possibly un under the same roof as the lender. I know this is a funny language I'm talking right now, but if all the more moving pieces for the loan are very close together, less things can go wrong. And, and when things do go wrong, they can get rectified and fixed up very, very quickly. So pick somebody who's reputable, who's on fire, who's alive in the market and knows what's going on. Yep. Uh, and then once you apply for the mortgage, there's some, you know, kind of do's and don'ts, um, you know, after you apply, right? So you don't want to deposit any huge amounts of cash into bank accounts uh, because for the mortgage, you're going to want to know where that came from. Absolutely. And you're going to have to account for it. Uh, you definitely don't want to make any large purchases. Like you don't want to, you know, work on buying a house and then all of a sudden, you know, go into contract and then within a couple weeks go and buy a new car. Yep. Or I've even had, you know, in the past I've seen where, you know, a client's all excited to move into their new house and then all of a sudden they go out and spend $5,000 on credit for new furniture for their home. Yep. And yep. And especially those rooms to go kind of deals where you, where you put no money down and you're only paying 36 months. Don't be fooled with that. Because the moment you do that, it actually falls under your debt ratio and it's going to mess up your, your buying power. So you do not, as Matt said, buy anything for the, the period until you have completely closed out that loan. Yeah, I would even add to that like simple things like co-signing on other loans or you know, co-signing for somebody on a car, co-signing on anything where you're going to be obligated uh, because even those co-signatures are going to raise your, um, your, your, your ratios. Yes, yeah, correct. Absolutely. You're right. Anything, anything money financial, do not touch. Do not yep. get involved with. Makes total sense there. Yep. Don't change your bank accounts. Um, don't apply for any new credit cards. Um, Talk about you know, those credit cards as well. Give them a yep. breakdown of the numbers on the credit cards. Yep. Don't close any credit cards. Um, you know, the bottom line is, you know, any blip in your income, assets, credit, anything like that, um, you know, could potentially, you know, put you out of the approval range for the new house. And in that preparation with credit cards, 
especially, um, make sure that your credit cards, no matter what the what your amount of money available to you is, if it let's say you've got a card and it's worth ten thousand dollars, that card must always be less than one third in use. So no more than thirty three hundred dollars spent. The rest has to just show as available. The moment that ratio changes, it's going to mess up your debt ratios as well. And you've got to keep a continuity of that. So things like this that we talk about, you can't just do it for one month. So this, this is the preparation, the financial preparation. Uh, a lot of it is going to be you as, as the, the consumer or the customer. Prepare yourself financially. Strengthen all your little pieces of your debt ratios and, and your money and the money coming into your accounts. Make sure that you have no money hidden away under the bed and expect that to be your down payment. Get all that money out and get, get it what we call verified through a bank account. So long before it comes time to close, all this money is already there. So prepare, prepare, prepare. Yeah, I would even say, um, you know, as we're just talking about this, right, I've even had to wear, uh, like, I think it was two or three years ago, I had somebody change a job without telling us, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and granted, in this case, luckily enough, it was a job to where the employer was really cool. Um, you know, they wrote a letter, their human resources department wrote a letter, um, you know, stating how much they were making and all of that stuff. And it wound up working out anyways. But again, you know, it's not the best idea in the middle of buying a house and the mortgage process to change your job or your job, your employment status, right? Definitely. Even if it's the same job. I had one last year where uh, the, the gentleman ha uh, was working in the same position, call it the same occupation for like 10, 20 years, but he changed companies and went to another job another company with the same job but the difference was and it was minimal it was maybe two to four dollars an hour different compared it was a little bit lower mm -hmm. that little difference got got them to, uh, a decline on their mortgage and they lost the property just because he went through that process at the wrong time he should have waited closed and then taken on the new job yeah exactly uh, and, you know, obviously the reason we're stating all of this is because we've seen this happen. And a lot of times the mortgage lenders, especially right now, are so, so, so busy that they don't go over all of this stuff when you apply for a mortgage. They give you kind of the baseline and uh, sometimes they don't go into, hey, you know what, don't get a new job or, hey, yep. you know what, don't get a car. Or, hey, you know what, don't buy furniture. Uh, so that's why kind of we're discussing that part. I agree. They are so busy, especially the lenders today. They they don't want something that is not going to close. They just like most people. There's only so many hours in a day, and they want to make sure that whatever they put their time into, it's going to work. So so do that preparation up front, and be ready. All right. Yes, sir. So okay. all of the research and preparation um, we have. Uh, at this point, decided that we're going to buy a house for whatever reason. We've calculated how much we can afford. Uh, we've got our down payment and closing costs. Uh, we just got with a lender and we got pre-approved. So, you know, what are kind of the next steps, Dave? Find out exactly what you want. So then you're focused on that. And then definitely get in, in touch with a realtor who knows what they're doing and who's got 
the tools at their fingers to get you what you want. Go online, start touching, and, and start learning. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, according to the National Association of Realtors, when people start shopping, they start online, right? So 93% of people are starting online. That's the number one um, uh, place where people start start shopping. 86% are contacting a real estate agent. Um, and then 73% are using mobile app on their phone or some kind of uh, or a tablet app. Mm. Good idea. So that's that's how people are starting to shop. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. Uh, you know, whether you're looking online, you're looking on your phone, um, or working with an agent, I think you know there's definite benefits to getting with an agent quickly. Um, yeah, quickly. So I mean, I can just share a story from about like three weeks ago, maybe four weeks at this point, where um, I had a client looking in a specific community. Uh, out in Olympia in Wellington, and that was the only community they wanted to be in. And they were looking at a certain price point uh, specifically, which was a tough price point to be in. They wanted to be about 400000 And in this market, in that community, they're just like flying off the shelf, right? Okay. Um, so, you know, we were looking, we went and saw a couple of houses, and I encouraged her to put in an offer very quickly on one that she liked. And we wound up losing that because they waited a little bit too long. Uh, so I started doing some searching. And in the, in the MLS, um, you can actually click on coming soon. And I was able to find one that was not on the market yet in the MLS under coming soon. And I was able to get her in there to see it before it actually ever hit the market. Right. Um, so, you know, that would be an example of why it's, you know, it could be beneficial to, you know, have a real estate agent in your corner right off the bat, uh, you know, and then obviously once you get into, uh, you know, a contract or into an offer, you know, there's the whole contract piece of it. Uh, there's the pricing and helping understand, you know, the real estate value within the community because, you know, we've talked about before where Realtor.com, Zillow, and these online estimates aren't necessarily the most um, mm, uh, accurate things now. Yeah, with their algorithms. Totally. You know, there's obviously negotiations, the experience, going through the appraisal, you know, and, and other things that we'll get into that the, an agent can really high, highly benefit you with. Absolutely. All right. So we're shopping, right? Okay. And we're looking around. So let's uh, let's take it from, you know, kind of going and looking some houses. All right. Very important. Well, this is so much. Yeah. We used to always take our clients with us in our cars mm -hmm. and we used to drive. And I love that, to be real with you, because that communication, that that piece over there, you get to know your your, your person on, on a much deeper level and understand how they think the new way i hate to say is so informal and so difficult because you kind of they follow you from one house to the next house so it, it, i have a problem with that i'll be real with you so you spend a lot at each house for instance because of that time in between showings to get a feel and that's changed dramatically in the market so even when you're showing from house to house make sure that you're giving good feedback to that realtor 
because sometimes they might not even ask you, but you better give it to them if that's the person you want to work with so that they can focus on the things that you like or didn't like about that property so that you can get to the right one quickly. So at the end of the day, it's a, what I say is focus, focus, focus. So even as you're moving forward on in the showing process, keep moving toward a goal, keep moving toward a goal and keep cutting the stuff out. That said, go ahead. Sorry, Matt. No, I was just going to say like, um, you know, there's so many different options right now compared to what we had before uh, in regards to showing because, um, you know, the traditional driving somebody around to houses and shopping for houses, you know, has changed with the pandemic as well, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, to, to the point where, yeah, I mean, you could technically now, I guess, wear some masks and go and hop in a car and go sh show houses. You know, I probably wouldn't recommend doing that way right now. Definitely. You know, so then, you know, your option number two could be following, you know, from house to house. Uh, you know, your option number three is you could do virtual consultations and, and virtual showings. Totally. Um, you know, so in, instead of hopping in a car and meeting somewhere, somewhere, um, you can actually, you know, do video chats or, or FaceTime uh, mm -hmm. virtual showings and still work it together uh, to get the process going, um, you know, but, you know, differently. And everything can be done virtually nowadays. You know, we've talked about this before, you know, from a virtual consultation online initially to home searches and virtual showings to, you know, document sign, signing either done with DocuSign or Form Simplicity or whatever kind of virtual uh, DocuSign. Uh, you know, you can wire your money electronically. And even now, you can pretty much almost do an entire closing um, you know, mm -hmm. virtually. Absolutely. You know, you know, so the, I was, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, you know, the bottom line is technology can definitely melt, make it happen. And there's way, there's way more options now to buy a house than, you know, there was pre pandemic. And, you know, I, I, I almost feel like when, you know, the pandemic eventually goes away, hopefully sooner rather than later, that a lot of these innovations in technology within the real estate realm, um, I don't think those changes are going to go away. Absolutely agree with you. You know, one thing that, that, that COVID-19 has taught us is that if, if we have some good systems in place, they are really good. Now, all this, this online stuff that we're talking about right now makes such a difference. And it's actually so time-saving. One of the things that... that, that, that um, uh, uh, Matt and I and the team have, have done is we've now got a full-time video photographer on board with us. And, and what we do on our own is that we actually have full video almost a virtual. And what it's done for us because of COVID is my listing now getting say 10 or 20 people through the door and Calm and bringing disease and sickness and whatever you want to call it, if it's even real, into the house. We don't, they're now seeing the whole virtual tour online with all these wonderful mm -hmm. tools. And now what it does, it even stops the problem coming through the door, not only for that seller, but for you. It saves you time. 
it saves you um, being even anxious about getting in, into the public. So it, it's a, one of these just great little things that we have out there right now that makes life so much easier. Yeah. So um, I think in addition to like the videography and photography, um, you know, as you're going and looking at some of these houses and, and you know, coming in and out, um, understand also that a good photographer and a good videographer can make a maybe not so great house look amazing online. And then you might run into some circumstances that it might be the opposite to where, yep. um, you know, it might not look so great online. And then you get into it and you're like, wow, this is actually really nice because of maybe poor photography or poor videography. So, you know, as you're going in and out of these houses, you know, try not to be frustrated with what it looked like online uh, compared to what you might see when you get there. Um, it's all kind of just part of the process. Absolutely. Go through the process and, and, and do the little pieces. If you, The more time you spend online and, and processing and focusing, the easier the whole process is going to be when, you get, when you're out and about. All right. So now we're uh, in and out of houses and we find a house that we like. Ooh, this one's nice. <laughs> what do we do, Dave? Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, what, what price point are we talking about, Matt? Uh, let's just say the bread and butter. I mean, most bread people are going to be in that three hundred to six hundred thousand dollar range. Got it. Okay. Tough marketplace. That's the first thing. And and by the way, when I say tough marketplace, your realtor needs to set true and realistic expectations with you in the consultations, so that when the time comes to making an offer and going through the process that you know what's coming. It's not going to be a huge surprise when he says to you or she says to you, hey, that offer we made was the lowest because there were 12 offers out there. That expectation needs to be set long before you even step in that door, even before you even consider making an offer. Get those expectations. The person that you deal with, your, your realtor, needs to set that for you because they are the professional. They know what is happening on a daily basis. Get them to share that with you so that when you do get into the opportunity of making an offer on the property, you're ready. You understand what's coming. It's not going to be a surprise. It's not going to sh shoot you off kilter and, and make stupid decisions or no decisions at all. It, it's almost like a planned attack. All things ready to go. You know exactly what's coming. All right. Yeah, I would just add a couple things. So at this point, you know, we've already been pre-approved. And during that pre-approval process, like, um, you know, it's one thing to just get a piece of paper from a lender that says, here's my approval, right? But if, in, a, in, in an effort to put yourself in a way better position, you want to really have your lender take it a couple steps further, right? You want to have them do a DU approval, and then if you can work on getting it as far through underwriting as you can, it's going to put you in a much, much, much better position. Um, you know, when you make the offer, you, your terms and conditions are going to be most likely far superior and stronger than the average offer that somebody's going to get. Absolutely. Make sure that that, that piece of paper that you get from that lender pretty much looks like a cash deal and 
you can talk to your your your, your real estate agent or broker and and ask them to explain to you what that really means and what that looks like and then you can actually attach yourself to a lender who can do that for you because that is going to be ultimate now when i wear the other shoe and i have a bunch of offers coming in i make sure that the offer has everything in it in and i call it a package that will be the offer the proof of funds everything about that buyer how they're going to get the mortgage I make sure that that letter is not only just a letter, but it's completely 100% verified. So if they say I've, uh, it looks like the credit's good and it looks like the money is there, uh, I won't even look at that because it's not done. It's not verified. But when it says verified, so remember that word, make sure that your lending letter, mortgage approval says verified. That makes it almost like cash. You know, that's one step closer than a majority of people are going to be. Um, you know, if you can have the cleanest terms, the best conditions, chances are you're going to have a good shot at uh, winning the offer. Yeah. You know, I think the other pieces that go into it, and these are some of the things we discussed last time too, is, you know, if, if my client finds a house that they really, really like, really like the first thing that i will immediately do is call the agent ah uh, yeah yes absolutely yep and i'll start talking to the agent and just start building rapport talking to them about how it's going you know how their business is how the market is you know what's going on with that house you know how much action is it getting i have a client that's really liking it um you know and and asking them questions okay. you know and part of that is you know you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, your seller and kind of their needs and what they're looking for in addition to just price, right? Because, you know, some sellers might want a 60-day closing to give them two months to move. Other people may want to close within 20 to 30 days, you know, so every single seller is different. So the more you can find out uh, about that seller and that house, then you can kind of cater the terms and conditions to that specific seller. And I can guarantee you that most people are not doing that. You're talking about 99% of realtors do not make the call. Today, unfortunately, people don't like to talk, it looks like. They like to communicate by email and text. And that does not work. That does not build rapport. You actually nailed it. They are just like we have expectations as the buyer. So does that seller. And so does that seller's agent. And if you see what their expectations are and you work around that, it's going to make such a difference. Because as you said, it's not only price, it's terms and conditions. And if you can bring all three together, you can be assured in many cases, sometimes it's not going to always be the price that's going to win the battle. It can be one of the other things. So bring the whole thing and you've got to talk to each other continually. Yeah, a couple other things that I could probably just say for, you know, based on my experience uh, in 2020 so far, um, you know, determining a good solid price is very, very important. I know that a lot of buyers have the mindset of, um, you know, they want this amazing deal and I want to get, 
you know, 30 or $50,000 off. And I want, I want, I want, which is totally understandable, right? Because at the end of the day, I believe that I want the best deal for you too. But I also want to make sure that you get in the house because, you know, if you get turned down on, on a, you know, a bad offer, then chances are you're probably not going to get that house. So really working with your real estate agent to determine a price, uh, really digging into the analytics, digging not just into the area, uh, but really digging into the subdivision, looking for kind of the same house, the same floor plan, the same condition, yep. all of that stuff to help determine your price is really, really important. Too true. So especially now, because this, you can't just go with, with, with the data that you see online. You know, all these things are, are, are based on algorithms. They do not base anything on the physical. And the physical is, I'm going to use a house for a house, trying to get an apple for apple comparison. One could have a newer roof. One could have an older roof. One could have a newer AC. One could have an older AC. When you base that offer, you've got to add all those little pieces into that mix. Because if you don't do that, you better be assured that the, that the buyer's agent with the other buyer who knows what they're doing is and they seeing that and they're comparing apple for apple not just price per square foot and and also kind of looking into the future of that subdivision is there an upside yeah is it completely leveled off is is it going to go down is it just so overpriced that it's unrealistic get that information yep I think uh, the second probably piece of advice that I would probably give after that would be act fast. (sighs) Yes. And I can't even tell you how many times I've told, uh, you know, specifically one set of buyers that I was working with that, you know what, guys, if you like this house, which I know you do, you just told me you do, we have to act fast. It's a nice house in great condition at a good price. So if we don't act fast, chances are within 24 to 48 hours, somebody else is going to snatch it up. I agree. And, you know, and that goes back to like, you know, the amount of inventory in the market now, like a normal market constitutes roughly about a six month supply of inventory. We've talked about this before. And right now we're sitting right at about 3% in Palm Beach County. And believe it or not, Broward County is under 3% of normal or three months uh, supply of uh, normal inventory. Yeah, I agree. So if you see something that you like and you want to live there, you have to act, act fast. Totally agree. Um, and just going back to the determining the price point, I, we, we talked about this in my our previous podcast, but I, I'm starting to now in the last, it's almost like a game that I play with the buyers. And I tell them it's a game too. I say, you know, the name of this game is how much would you pay for this house to live here, right? So the house might be, for example, $500,000. You might only want to pay four forty dollars or four fifty, dollars and I'm sure so does everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, is it worth losing the house, you know, by trying to throw in a lo- low ball offer, right? So if you're starting with your buyers at four fifty, dollars hypothetically, you know, ask – Ask yourself, ask the buyer to ask themselves, would you pay 460 for this to live here? Yes or no? 
Would you pay 465? Would you pay 470? And eventually they're going to come across this line that they're going to say, you know what, at 475, you know, maybe somebody else could have this house. Right. And when you, when you hit that line in today's market, realistically, that's probably what your offer should be or somewhat close to it. Right. I agree. You know, you talk about that 50,000. You know, what is 50,000 in mortgage today? I'm going to give you a number right now. 50,000 pretty much equates to just over $200 a month. Mm -hmm. So you're talking, what's that? That's not that. And you divide that by days. Is this, are you going to lose this house for $200 a month, the perfect home, or are you going to keep shopping for 200 a month? When you start to see it and you break it down financially and break away from the big number, the 50,000, it makes a huge difference to know that if I went up just a little, or it looks like a lot, but a little on the monthly payment, I could have the home of my dreams that I'm going to keep forever. Mm -hmm. Yep. I would say for buyers, even put yourself in the seller's shoes for a minute and say, hey, you know, if this house is valued at roughly about 500000 and I submitted a 450 offer and I was the seller, how would I feel? Totally. Because, you know, at the buyers are extremely smart and sellers are extremely smart too, smart. Mm-hmm. right? So most sellers, if they get a lowball offer, aren't even really going to respond to it. Nope. You know, when those offers come in, Matt, and I'll, I'll changing shoes again as the listing agent, and I, I get a whole bunch of those offers on my table, and I'm, and I'm breaking them up. And I, I'm actually talking to my seller online through my Zoom call, and, and I'm showing him the offers online. We will go through those ones. And because they don't look like they are serious because of the lowball offer, unfortunately, the real Life is that that offer then kind of gets put to the side and the people that are real, that are close to value or on that value with better price terms and conditions get looked at more seriously. It's just how it's done. And as buyer in this marketplace, knowing it's a seller's market, you need to know that. And that's something that your agent needs to be telling you here and now. Mm -hmm. Don't play games. Yep. Absolutely, because most of the time when the games are played in this market, which is clearly a seller's market, right? When those games are played, generally speaking, the buyers are going to lose. Now, in a buyer's market, when that time comes, then obviously you can do things like that and maybe get a little bit more aggressive with your offers. Absolutely. That's a different world, and everything's going to change. When that time comes, which it'll come one day, we can do things in a totally different direction and a different way of doing things. Yep. All right. So now that, uh, now that we've submitted our offer and we did a really good job with that and it got accepted, uh, let's talk about some of the next steps. Well, in, in most cases, in this price point, people are going to have a mortgage. So there's going to be two main steps. One is going to be the inspections. And in most cases, those inspections are going to be within 10 to 15 days of the execution of that offer. Make sure at this time that you have at least one or two very good inspectors ready or your 
agent has them ready to do the work. And they m must know how to look at the house to see the difference between what we call functionality and cosmetic. Mm -hmm. And again, I see this so often. If the agent you're working with doesn't set your expectations correctly, when it comes to that report arriving on your desk, you're going to freak because inspectors don't kind of break it up a lot and it looks like all the house is falling apart and it's not. So make sure that you have a conversation about functionality. So if a window doesn't open because the spring is broken, that's functionality. But if it opens and it works, but it's, it, it's not looking good, it's cosmetic. All those little things. And there's a word that we use, and especially in the, the side of the inspectors, they like the word recommend written into their paperwork. When you see that when your report comes up, no recommend most times means it's not functionality. It's just a recommendation to give you a ballpark for the future. So you've chosen a good guy. A good team comes out and does that inspection. Make sure that you go through that report with your, your realtor and break the thing down to what is real and what is not real. I'm going to use an example. Um, I had a, a property, a condo that we just did this week and the report came in and there was a whole bunch of things. And one of the things, for instance, was deteriorating paint. Another thing was that the air conditioner worked perfectly, but the word recommend a service was in there. Now, that buyer knew what was coming because I'd already set the expectation. So... I didn't have to say anything. He said, oh, I see that. that that's deterioration. That's, that's not functionality. That's cosmetic. I see that it's working, but it needs a service and it's recommend. He knew, so it didn't even become a problem because a lot of times we get caught as buyers and buyers agents in this inspection period with things that are real and not real. And you lose a lot of transactions. Yeah, that's so it. go ahead. I just want to throw kind of the why in there for this right so the inspector's job is obviously come in and make sure that the house is structurally sound and everything is functioning at a high level right or an acceptable level acceptable level is better wording yeah yeah sorry uh but they're also in a position to where if they miss something or don't point something out that at the end of the day they're going to be held accountable Correct. So what the inspectors really do is they go into a house and they literally point out Everything cosmetic, everything functional, everything structural uh, to the point where it could literally scare the bejesus out of a buyer. Absolutely. Right. And I've seen to where inspectors have ruined deals before. Mm -hmm. So really having and knowing the expectation. And if the if your agent doesn't set your expectation for you, I'm going to do it right now, which is the inspectors are really covering their asses when they're doing the inspection reports. Every single nook and cranny is going to be on it. Really, you have to differentiate what's cosmetic and then what's functional and structural, and then obviously take it from there. But, you know, no going into it that 
Um, you know, I've seen absolutely stunning remodeled homes that are in visual, like when you look at it with your eyes, perfect, mm-hmm. impeccable condition, come up with a laundry list of stuff on the inspection report. Absolutely. You know, see it all the time. you see it all the time. Uh, and, you know, to the inspector's defense, right? You know, he's getting paid to find things wrong with a job. house. It's his job. So mm-hmm. if he goes into a house and comes out with a perfect, clean bill of sale with nothing wrong with it, it's really yeah. like, okay, then, you know, what are we, you know, what are we inspecting? What do we hire you for if you didn't find yeah. anything? So yeah, what the, are you missing? <laughs> yeah. And what are you missing? So the inspectors are no doubt going to find a lot of stuff and really you just have to kind of navigate your way through the weeds and really figure out what's cosmetic, what's functional, structural, and then take it from there. Totally agree. Uh, and know that, that he's there for you. So he's not only giving you the functionality of the house as it is here and now, but he's, he's trying to give you a roadmap for the future. So you'll notice that we'll talk about air conditioning. He'll say, yes, you should uh, at least service the, the air conditioner once a year. And he'll say, recommend. Um, recommend your, uh, clean out your, your water heater once a year. Things like that. Small little things. Doesn't mean it's not functioning, but it actually helps you as the buyer give you a nice grounding of what you need to do in the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so once uh, once inspections are kind of ironed out and negotiated, right? So we've got the things that need to be addressed, addressed. Uh, you know, the things that are not going to be addressed or not addressed. Uh, what's after that? Well, when you've got that with your buyer, and you've now you've you've got the executed offer at a certain price, and you've got this call it laundry list of things that might need to be done. You as realtor also need to take the two and co- kind of combine the executed contract price with what is really needed. Is that executed contract price based on a home that has everything done or have you executed at a price lower than that by the, in the form of a discount up front to get it sold? Sometimes sellers will accept less knowing there's certain things wrong with the house so that they can sell it quickly and let you as buyer have the opportunity to do those repairs the way you want it. So that, it comes down to communication again between your buyer's realtor and the listing agent. They will know that. Let, let your buyer's agent make sure when they talk to you that that expectation is also set up front, knowing that the offer that you've got on the table is actually lower in real value compared to the neighbors or is level with the neighbors so that you might have to do the negotiation at that point. Don't over expect when it comes to that. Yeah, I would just, I would just add one thing to that. So every buyer is going to be a little bit different, right? So there's going to be a handful of buyers that are going to say, um, you know, I want the house, you know, to be, good and ready to move into. So I want the, uh, I want the owners to fix or do the things on the report. And then there's going to be a handful of buyers that are going to be like, you know what, I would rather do it myself the way I want Mm -hmm. it, how I want it done with the parts and pieces that I want. So 
you know, with that being said, I feel like this is probably about $3,000 worth of work. I would like $3,000 off the house. Yep. Now, this is a good time to talk about that as well, because if uh, when you say off the house, are you going to take it off the purchase price or maybe add it into what we call prepaids and closing costs that the seller is going to pay on behalf mm -hmm. of the buyer? This then also falls within another criteria that you, what we call your closing costs becomes less. And that's right. all set up front with your buyer's agent before you even look at a house because that's going to come up as one of the questions we ask. Because instead of you hypothetically having to bring, say, $20,000 to the closing table, which includes your, your down payment on your house and all the, the closing costs pertaining to the loan itself and the closing, title insurance if it's in Broward County, all those kind of things, suddenly it's $3,000 less. Yep. You bring bring it in. So now it's less that you have to worry about and you can take care of those things into the future. Yeah, absolutely. So now we've got our addendum done. Hypothetically speaking, we've got a $3,000 credit towards closing costs and prepaids. Uh, what's after that? The moment you've cleared, the, cleared that, there's, and there's always an order two things. As you know, to, Everything costs, inspection costs. What is the average today? About 400 to 500, Matt? Yeah, I would say a good inspection nowadays is 500. If they've got a pool, 600. Right. And now don't forget, guys, that those numbers we've just given you also includes not just the inspection, but what we call a four-point inspection, which is going to help you when it comes to getting your insurance mm -hmm. and your insurance discounts. Your insurance broker is going to ask for a copy of this piece of the report. So don't forget that it's important to make sure that, that you ask for it upfront. Yeah, that's a really good point, Dave. And in, in addition to wind mitigation, right? Uh, WDO or uh, wood destroying organism termite report, uh, all of that should be included. In the report, yeah. Don't, don't be fooled and go online as a buyer and try and find one of these inspectors. I had one the other day and unfortunately I was the listing agent, so it didn't make a difference to me, but I felt terrible for that buyer. They had gone and found some guy online who was licensed, was a single family house. He came in and, and he did absolute basic functionality. He didn't check the roof. Oh, wow. He, did, he didn't check for termite. He oh. just checked the plumbing, the electrical, and, and, and the appliances in the windows. He passed the thing, walked out the door. I know when I see something like that, I would, I would cry. But what that customer saw was 200 bucks for an inspection <laughs> instead of <laughs> the four or 500 that, that brings all the pieces in. You need to make sure that you get a clear roof report. Especially now, our houses are getting older in many cases. You've got to make sure that there's, there's still functional life in, in the roof. It's not leaking. All those that small little things. Yeah, to Dave's point, you would never want to try and save two to 300 bucks. That is going to cost you, literally in this example, thousands down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Uh, and, and then use, use, use it correctly. Don't forget when you've got this piece in. Now, as that has happened, you've now paid for that. You would not go ahead and start your final mortgage process. 
which is getting the appraisal done on the house because that's going to cost you money as well. That's averaging 450 to 600 at the moment. So you clear the inspections. The moment the inspection's clear, the system should, and now when I say should, don't expect it unless the realtor has something in place to do this that initiates phase two, which is getting hold of the lender and saying we are clear, go ahead and move forward with with the appraisal. All right. So I feel like, uh, especially nowadays, appraisals is something we should spend a couple minutes on. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. So why don't you explain kind of the appraisal process for us, and then we'll talk about maybe some challenges that we're seeing in the market with appraisals right now. All right. Appraisal process on the side of, 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 of the customer as the buyer. What will happen is as soon as we've cleared our inspection, the appraisal will get ordered. What that means is the lender will then get a appraiser who's in a group of appraisers. They won't know who it's going to be. Um, whoever's next in, in, in the routing will, will get the appraisal. They receive that appraisal. They will then open it up and then they will start processing it online and start doing what we call a pencil appraisal, making sure that the values kind of come in line with what the executed prices. Right now, I have not seen it stop at that point. It just keeps going through process. And then you're going to get a call from that appraiser as buyer's agent and seller's agent to go and view the property. And he's gonna, or he or she's gonna go in and then take some photographs, do measurements. Be assured at this point that all the upgrades or the no upgrades or whatever you wanna call it are absolutely brought out in front of that appraiser. They need to know exactly what is going on. They have the same tools as the real estate agents do online. They just don't have the tools of boots on ground because they're not looking at every single house on every single day in every single neighborhood to see that one has a new roof and that one doesn't. So all the, the information needs to be presented to them so that they can give you a good value. Let's call it a true value of what the house is worth. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, a state certified appraisal is going to be assigned to uh, to the house and the lender, like Dave said, is not allowed to speak to this person. And really, the agents aren't either. Um, so it's got to be an unbiased, you know, appraisal of the house to where he's going to come into the community, take a look at the comps and do an analysis per square foot and uh, look at the upgrades or downgrades depending on the house and come out with a price. Right. So Absolutely. what are some of the challenges you're seeing with appraisals nowadays? Hi. Okay. Especially between three and 600,000, because we've had this like super run and, and values have gone up very, very quickly. And when I say values, buyers' expectations and sellers' expectations of value have gone up. Many cases, that offer amount is way higher than the past values going back 90 and 120 days. And that is what the appraisers are having difficulty with. When markets move too quickly and they, mm -hmm. they, they escalate too quickly, it, it's very difficult to appraise. No different to when it 
and it, it goes in the opposite and de-escalates and, and drops very quickly. It's not a problem for them in that case, but in most cases when it's going up, they very it becomes nerve-wracking because they might um, give a value that is going to be higher and put their lender at risk. Now, remember, the appraiser does not work for you, buyer. He works for the money. Always he works for the money, and the money is the lender. That's the risk taker. Yeah, he's representing the lender. Correct. So he's going to make sure that this thing is going to look very good for them and not put them at risk. Yep. And I think in today's market, like Dave was saying, the biggest challenge to that is, um, you know, when you have buyers, right, that have high expectations and they love a house and, you know, I might say, hey, you know what, I would absolutely pay $450,000 for this house. And, you know, nothing in the community has sold for $450,000 and, Mm -hmm. You know, even though that buyer would pay that price, that's where the appraisal becomes a challenge. Absolutely. Very scary. Very, very, very scary. And, and that it's, it's a kind of like a dancing game that they're going to have to do to see where things are going. What we have seen recently over the, uh, over the last maybe 30 days is a change in the psychology of the appraiser. They're getting nervous. Yeah. 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 You felt it as well? Yeah, I think they're being obviously very, very conservative. Um, Mm. You know, they're being very careful. And in a lot of cases, it's causing homes not to appraise, you know. And, uh, you know, as a listing agent, I can share an example of, you know, one that I had probably about three or four, yeah, probably three weeks ago at this point, where, you know, I listed this home probably about a month, month and a half ago. And it was beautiful, renovated, new floors, brand new kitchen. The you know floor plan was opened up. They put a beautiful custom master bathroom in it. Um, I mean, it was just gorgeous, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, as a listing agent, I said, you know what, guys, I'm like, you know, here are the numbers in the neighborhood, and the numbers in the neighborhood are roughly about four hundred thousand dollars, plus or minus a couple thousand, right? Mm-hmm. I said, at that price, you would be the highest record-breaking setting house in the neighborhood at 400000 Now, these guys put about eighty grand into this house. Yeah. So they said, well, you know, we think we can get four thirty or four fifty for it. And I said, you know what? I said, I understand totally where you're coming from. I believe, honestly, that I could probably get you four thirty or four fifty for it. I said, but the problem is going to be when we reach the appraisal point. And I told him, I said, in this price point of about four hundred to $450,000, you're really not going to have any cash buyers. And I said, do you know why that is? And they said, well, probably somebody that's got four hundred to $450,000 in cash is going to put that as a down payment or they're going to use these amazing interest mortgage rates mortgage rates to leverage and get something that's 700,000 or 800,000. So that buyer is not looking at this $450,000 house. Mm-hmm. So anyways, lo and behold, we go through the process, we get multiple offers, you know, at $430,000, I think was the one we accepted was the highest. We had another one at 420, uh, you know, but the bottom line was come appraisal time, the appraiser came in 
And I met the appraiser there, which is another really great recommendation is for your real estate agents to actually meet the appraisers and just maybe kind of show him some of the upgrades and show him around the place. Because obviously, as the agent and the homeowner, you're going to know the house way better than the appraiser is. So you can show him that. And then I also brought, you know, six or seven comps with me that helped support the price of the property, um, you know, to, to the highest extent. So from a price per square foot standpoint, I brought the best ones in the neighborhood. So anyways, lo and behold, as the appraiser went through and he was a really good guy and really knew his stuff and really was on his game and he did a really great appraisal, but guess where it came in? Where? $400,000. Oh, boy, have I heard this story. It's exactly almost to the dollar where I said it would be. Yep. And, uh, you know, at that point, you know, buyers and sellers have choices to make. And, you know, the buyer can, you know, either say, hey, you know what? This is the best thing we've seen out there. And we're willing to kind of pay extra for this house. And they can come up with the difference difference in cash. Absolutely. Uh, or in a lot of cases, when you're at this specific price point, the buyer may not have the extra cash to come up with, and the lender is not going to, uh, you know, they cannot at this point put lend you more than the appraised value. Mm-hmm. So then the seller has a decision to make, which is, hey, am I going to put this back on the market for the next, you know, month or so and go through this process all again, Right. And then, you know, the conversation has to be had of what's the carrying cost, what's the overhead on this thing per month, you know, and kind of do those calculations to see if it's worth it, or do they come down to the appraisal appraisal price or meet somewhere in between, right? So all of those things can be negotiated, but, you know, for, you know, I've sold probably, God, four houses in the last year or two that, um, that I have actually sold for more money than what it appraised for. Yes. Absolutely. And in a couple ca- cases, they came down to the appraisal price because they had to. And then there was another case in Boca to where the buyer was able to say, you know what, we've been around and we've been looking for a while. And at, in this example, this was a $350,000 house, uh, you know, in Boca Raton at $350,000, we have not seen anything nicer we're going to pay the $30,000 difference. And then they came up. Totally. And, and, and this is something that, that you got to look at as a, as a buyer as well. And, and your agent as buyer's agent needs to look at the neighborhood. I had a, a, a similar scenario with, with a buyer and it was in an area in, it wasn't Lighthouse Point, it was part of Deerfield Beach. There was a property that came on the market a couple of months ago. And it was at least 30% higher than any property sold in the last 10 years. Price per square foot. Mm-hmm. But in this specific home, it's like you said, they had done everything. They had done the roof. They had done the windows, the air conditioning, the floor, the kitchen. All that work had been done. But everything that had sold recently did not have it done. And it did not compare. So that specific buyer who bought that property had to make a serious decision because, you know, you look at a home and you know that things are going to have to be done to it. A roof is going to be done, a kitchen or whatever the case is, all those upgrades. 
those folks had to make a decision to pay more now than instead of paying more later because you're going to do it anyway. But you've got to make sure that your agent knows what, what's going on in that division to, to give you that advice and say, hey, you're either going to put the roof on today and pay for it in the price or you're going to put the roof on in two years' time and pay the price. Either way, you're going to pay it. It just takes time. And depending how long you're going to stay in the home is how you're going to make that decision pertaining to the value of that property as well. Yep. All right. Anything else on appraisals? Well, they are getting tougher. So yeah. ex, 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 as we go through this year and into next year, expect that. And usually when you see problems with appraisals, you can be assured right now that is the, one of the signs without a big red blinking in the sky telling you that the market is, is cooling, slowing, feeling the risk factor, and then expect things to slow down and change a little bit. Okay. So, all right. So we went through home inspections. We went through the appraisal process. We've got our repairs or our credits or our uh, money towards uh, prepaids and closing costs. Uh, what's after that? All right. In, in our case, as, as buyers agents, um, our team has a very, very strong backend and, and backend is very important. When I mean backend, we have coordinators who run the transaction for us. And, and what it really means to you as buyer is that the people that we have, our admin staff, make sure that all timelines are met accordingly, that your, your, your money isn't at risk. It keeps this whole process moving forward. 99% of realtors don't have that. They, and these are the little things that make the huge difference. So make sure you've got you, 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 you're on the timeline and you're moving forward and you're working with the title company and everybody is working as a team. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts, right? Yes. So you've got the title company involved. Uh, you've got insurance companies involved. Uh, there perhaps might be attorneys involved on one side or both sides. Right. There's obviously the buyers and sellers. There's a buyer's agent. There's a seller's agent. There's all of these different moving parts right. that everybody's kind of doing. Very important at that. What about, also be very proactive when people ask for things. Mm -hmm. Don't sit on your laurels and wait for something. If, if a title company is asking for something, do it immediately. Uh, I, I, it sounds weird, but believe it or not, how often we have to ask over and over and over. And you wonder why this whole process is taking so long and your closing date gets extended is because people haven't acted according to a quick moving timeline. And just be proactive. Be very proactive with all the different people that are involved, all the vendors, be it the title company, the mortgage company, be it, be it the buyer's agent, the seller's agent, whoever's involved, the money, whatever the case is, keep being proactive. Mm -hmm. The quicker you can get them all the information, the quicker you can, uh, you know, ultimately close on the house. Totally agreed. That's what this whole thing's about. It's a team yep. effort. It really is a team effort, Matt. Yep. So then, uh, so then after all of that is said and done, we're ready to rock and roll, right? We do a final walkthrough. So what are some of the things we're looking for in a final walkthrough? Final walkthrough. Okay. 
first and foremost, final walkthrough isn't another time that you can start renegotiating price. That's not what, what the, the concept is about. Concept of, with final walkthrough is that the home looks and feels and is in functional condition as it was on the day that you did your inspections. That's all it has to be. End of story. You can't start looking for new things and try to negotiate. Mm-hmm. So make sure that you, your expectation is correct and understand that when you go to do your final walkthrough, that you, you, you're going as a lay person. You're not going as a inspector. So you're going to be checking that the hot water is working, that uh, the air conditioner is working, there's no broken windows, the, kind of everything that is superficial because that's all we can really look at and make sure everything superficial is working so that you can then move quickly onto your closing. Yeah, I would say functionally and structurally making sure that the, you know, the final walkthrough you're using to make sure that, you know, as silly as it sounds, that the, you know, dishwasher is still there, <laughs> that the, you know, if there's supposed to be rods and curtains, that those are still there, that, yeah. you know, things that were supposed to be there are there as per contract. Because, okay. you know, a lot of times honest mistakes are made. These moving companies come in. They don't understand that they're not supposed to take the curtains down and pack them up and ship them to the to the new house or the next house. Yep. So they they do it, <laughs> you know. And then all of a Great. sudden, you know, in a final walkthrough, with you know, curtains aren't there, or you know, something something's missing because of an honest mistake, right? So you know, it's time to you know, generally speaking, that rarely ever happens. But if it does, you know, those are things you're looking for, and then you can rectify it there. Yeah, especially uh, moving companies. I've had this so often, uh, and it's not their fault. Yes, it is their fault, but it isn't. A lot of times, mailboxes, they they knock them down. Mm -hmm. How often, because they're bringing this big, huge truck into a subdivision or a street, and they're trying to reverse into the property, and there it goes. Those are kind of things that you look for. Don't. That is so important. I see that so often. It's a silly little thing, but it comes up all the time. Yep. Okay. So now we're ready to close, right? Mm -hmm. So a couple of things to note for closing. Um, You know, what do you think they would be? Okay. First and foremost, uh, we we spoke about being proactive. Make sure um, that that all the money's on your side, your, your down payments. If, if, if it's just down payments and not a full cash deal is already at the title company been wired ready all that you have to do is done mm-hmm. yep and in so many- your your wire is there right so the- that that so that the house can actually be funded on the day that we close yep and that you can actually get the keys and everybody and all the monies go to where they're supposed to go that's correct. And as the monies go, and that's what Matt's talking about when we talk about funding, is when it funds, then we can hand over the key. Mm-hmm. Yep, just a couple other things on closing, too. So um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of buyers don't understand that they will have to actually, if they're doing a mortgage, which most people are, they will have to re-sign their entire mortgage application. That's correct. Yeah. which is a big application and lots of papers to sign. Uh, a couple other things, there's usually five or six copies of the closing statement or the HUD that needs to be signed and notarized by everybody. Um, you know, one of them goes to the buyer, one of them goes to the seller, one of them goes to the lender. 
Uh, one of them you need to use depending on what city you're moving in and out of to either shut your water off or turn your water, water on. on. Yep. Uh, you know, so all, all kinds of things like that. So, you know, from a buyer standpoint, the paperwork can be a little bit overwhelming uh, and a lot of signatures going around. But, uh, you know, when you understand that you're basically re-signing your lender application, which is a lot of paperwork, uh, and then, you know, the other documents that go into it, you know, you won't be so surprised at how much it is when you get there. Absolutely. Get that expectation out, out front so you know what's happening. Because, yes, yeah, some of those those lenders document packages are very long. One of the good things that that has happened um, through COVID is a lot of, of the top end lenders um, allow us um, to what we call pre-sign a lot of that package at 12.01 of the day of closing. So at one minute past 12, going into the next day, you'll get an email and it will be an e-signature email and you can go through pretty much almost 60 to 70% of, of, of that package that we would normally physically sign. You can almost sign online now and go through at your leisure. So when your closing is at maybe 9, 10, 11, 12 o'clock on that day, when you get to the title company's office, instead of you having 100 pages to sign, you might only be signing maybe 10, 20. Mm -hmm. That makes a huge difference. And that uh, is a question you should be asking your lender as well. Hey, do you, do you uh, a part of your service, uh, can we have our documents up front to sign or most of our documents up to sign? via e-signature and if they say yes you know you're dealing with one of the better ones out there yep absolutely all right so anything else on closing or yes one thing yeah don't be anxious it's fun this is this is a major part of our lives is buying a home and a roof over our heads for our families Take away the anxiety. Make sure that you deal with somebody who does that for you, who, who's, who's a calming effect. Have fun with it and just relax and, and enjoy the process. Yeah, I would agree. Buying or selling a house can obviously be um, a little bit stressful with all of the moving parts and things that go into it, but try and make it as fun as possible. It should be a happy time. Totally. You know, I, I can I can go back because I now have a little bit of history. When I was uh, new in the business over 30 years ago, uh, I was just as anxious as they were. And it took years of experience to understand all the moving parts and put all the moving parts in play and take on the right position and role and, and pass everything to the position so that that buyer felt totally at ease and knew that they were in good hands because that's what this is about. We are their emissary. We are, we are part of that family to close that home, be it buyer or seller, either side mm -hmm. of the fence. And, and your realtor needs to, to be that person for you. Yeah. I would say with everything that goes into a real estate um, purchase nowadays, uh, in a very heavily regulated environment, totally. um, you know, we can, you know, agents, real good agents are going to help you navigate the contracts and help with all the disclosures, the addendums, the price adjustments, the contracts. Uh, you know, we're going to help you understand the current market conditions like we spoke about a little bit earlier and really 
explain and decipher what's going on in certain developments for you. And, you know, the pricing that's in there and the real estate values that are in those developments uh, and help you make really a great offer. Um, You know, obviously acting as a buffer and helping negotiate throughout the entire transaction, Uh, you know, and a good real estate agent's going to be, you know, pretty well experienced. You know, our team's between all of us over 40 years, um, you know, experience within the team and very well educated in uh, the entire sales process. So, you know, it's very, very important to have a good agent on your side to help you through the transaction. Totally agree. Yeah, we, Matt, uh, that's what this whole thing's about. It's all team, always team, team, team. And it's, it's who you choose to take on the battle that makes it work, be it the buyer, the buyer's agent, the seller, the seller, the seller's agent, the lender, the lender, the title company. Everybody makes the thing work. Yeah, I, I have a question for you, Dave, and we, I don't know if we talked about this today or not, um, but um, hypothetically speaking, I've heard you know, a lot of buyers talking about, well, I'll just go through the listing agent, you know, I'll be able to get a better deal through them, so on and so forth. What are your thoughts on that? Wow, it's getting there. It depends on the price point. And, and you know, at the end of the day, <sighs> It's difficult. It's a very difficult one that I'm seeing a lot of transactions. I have a lot of buyers coming to me directly. Yeah. But at the end of the day, as, as the listing agent, when I do see that happening, I, 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 I absolutely explain and, and set that expectation with that person that they are not going to get any freebies from me mm-hmm. in any which way or form. They are going to be negotiated exactly the same as any of the buyer's agents out there. I'm going to have the same fiduciary to everybody. So are they going to probably get um, a better shot at it? In the real world of real worlds, uh, knowing people and human behavior, maybe. The higher the price point, the more difficult the, uh, the, 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 the sale the more moving parts, you absolutely need someone on your side as buyer's agent. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, you know, in my opinion, um, I think there's pros and cons to both sides of it, right? Totally. Um, You know, I probably have represented both sides in transactions probably about six times over the last year or two, Mm -hmm. um, where buyers have come directly to me for one of my listings and I've helped them navigate the course. Um, you know, but obviously, you know, having a very uh, fair uh, position, you know, in both ways, you know, and in, in saying, you know, like, look, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's representing the seller, I'm going to help you the best that I can mm-hmm. navigate these waters and do the best things that I can for you and help guide you in the right direction the best way that I can. Um, you know, and sometimes that's a really good thing because I can help them navigate those waters be- better than better. if I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Because in, in many cases, there's two, there's a th- three things I want to share. One is that a lot of buyers agents or agents out there don't really know how to negotiate, be it. We've gone through a period since 2013 to 2019 where those buyer's agents were pretty much order takers. 
-hmm. suddenly things have shifted and we we in a very big shift right now in a changing marketplace so if that 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 real estate agent that you have who's representing you doesn't have the right tools to work with and the knowledge um, when i say tools it can be knowledge based it can be a whole bunch of things to get you through the process you could put yourself in in a very grave position that's number one number two one of the things we do in our group at, at dave magia group is that we are transactional brokers so we have a fiduciary to that transaction as well right to keep it going and make sure that it goes right and it's and, and it's fair and equal to everybody so don't expect to get a wheel and a deal from us because you, you're coming around the back door instead of going through your buyer's agent. Because that happens so often. I, I get that. And I, I actually ask them up front, so why uh, do you have an agent? Yes. So I say, why aren't you working with them? And then I'll give you a whole bunch of reasons. And I actually set the expectation at that point. Because in many cases, unfortunately, the reason they came to me or went to you it's because their agent hasn't been doing their job well. Right. And they've been doing the work as buyer and seeing all these things using their apps and the internet and all the tools that they have out there. And they seeing the property before their agent even sees it. And that is ugly, terrible. That's a different story. Another thing that I, I, I you, you made that question very difficult for me because I came from a well, different Well, it's a background. tough question, right? Oh, it is. <laughs> very. And I've had this so often because my background wasn't selling real estate in, in, in the United States. It was in another country where, where you represent both buyer and seller on every transaction. So I learned my first 10 years of real estate how to do that. So when I came to the States and suddenly you split it, it was like a foreign language to me between buyer's agent and seller's agent. But what it has benefited me, and I share that with you guys on a daily basis, is when we have both ends, I, we know how to work that thing because we have experience doing it. Right. And it helps I think that's a lot. Uh, we've been talking for a long time today, mate. We're already uh, way over an hour. You know that, right? Yes, we're going to have to edit this down pretty good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else? Uh, any other words of wisdom, Dave? At this moment, no. Not at all. Right. Uh, yeah, actually, one thing I would say, if you're buying a home right now, know that you're buying a home for the long haul, not just for one or two or three years. But when a purchase today needs to be a purchase for five plus years, and and that's that would be more of a financial thing than anything. Yep, I would say uh, you know for buying in in twenty twenty right now and for the foreseeable uh, probably rest of the year into probably next year is just be on your A game. Totally. Um, you know, if you're not putting your best foot forward and you're not on your A game, chances are you're going to lose out on some houses and then you're going to look at your agent, you know, or some other form and say, hey, how come we're not winning here? Mm -hmm. And the bottom line is before you look at anybody else, look in the mirror uh, and then you'll probably find the answers to kind of why you're not winning.
Totally agree. Yeah, it's either going to be you or it's going to be your agent, one of the yep, two. Absolutely, because it's not the market. market. The market is not substantiated by you. Nope. All right, Dave, uh, if they want to get a hold of you, where they can, where can they find you at? Usually, uh, I'm very old-fashioned, so I like my telephone. My direct number is 754-581-5077. You can either call me, leave a voicemail, or text me. And I'll get back to you fairly promptly. Yep. And uh, my phone number is 954-295-7540. You can call or text, whatever is easier for you. And Dave, I know you're a little old school, so I'm going to give some of our uh, younger listeners some new new school stuff. So on Instagram, you can find Dave at Dave Magua Group. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at Dave Magua Group. You can find us on YouTube at Dave Magua Group. Uh, and you can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Mac Yelling Realtor. Absolutely. All, all, if you want us, you'll find us. Just go to that internet and you type our names and then you'll see. <laughs> there you go, right? All right, Dave. Thanks again for everything. Um, and we'll talk soon, okay? Sounds good, Matt. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, everybody. Ciao, ciao. Bye.